Maybe there we go. There we go. We'll eventually. We'll. We'll. One day I'm going to get this whole preaching thing figured out. Until then, you'll have to bear with me. Um, so today we're going to be starting in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5. We're going to be going through the end of Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Okay. So one question that we ended with last week, right? We ended with it after kind of a reflection on. Uh, chapter 11, verse 4, which says, Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. And the question that I left you with last week is, What are you waiting for? Right? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for perfect weather, church? This is a question that I want us to, to talk about again today, Right? I want us to ask ourselves again the question, what is it that we're waiting for? Right? I want it to be personal. I want you to ask yourself, what am I waiting for? What is it that I'm waiting for? Now, here's the thing. I, I think that you know what the proper response to this question should be. Do y'all feel comfortable that y'all know what you should answer to that? When I ask, what are you waiting for? You feel like, yeah, I know that I should be, that the proper answer is to say nothing, right? That there's nothing that I have to be waiting for, that, that the time is right now, right? That, that the time to serve is now, that the time to be useful is now. Do, do we understand that that is the proper answer to that question? Possibly not, right? Maybe, maybe... Maybe we feel as though tomorrow will be the right time, right? Maybe, maybe tomorrow things will line up so that now I can be used in the way that I was hopeful that I could be used. So I'll wait for the stars to align and for everything, all the situations in my life to look like they're, it's just prime time, right? I, I think... Though we may not say that because we know that's probably not what we should say, I think if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes we find ourselves in the situation where the answer to the question, what am I waiting for, we could never have the answer to it. We could never have the answer to it. Because we're not even thinking about the question. We're not even concerned with the question. It doesn't bother us, or does it bother us, if we're not being useful to God? Does it concern us if we're not being useful? And I want this to be on, a, on an individual and personal basis. I'm not saying as a church that we're, that we're being unuseful. But here's what I want to tell you, is that if on an individual level we're being unuseful, then as a church we're being unuseful. Right? So again, the question, what are you waiting for? And, and you should be thinking in your mind, Lord, what am I waiting for? What am I waiting for? We're going to kind of explore this question a little bit today. We're going to look at some New Testament. Because one of the things that I want... Let me ask you this. You'll, you'll know this answer, right? When Solomon's writing this book, and the last verse of the last chapter of this book is over, what are we waiting for there? When we flip to the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14... And we read, God will judge us for everything we do, including the, even the secret things, whether good or bad, period. What's, at, at the time in history where this is written, what is being waited for? If I were to go back to them and ask them this question, what are you waiting for? What would be the answer to that question? Do, do we know? I, I think... I think we do. When I tell you, you'll be like, yeah, I knew that. What is it? They were waiting on the Messiah, right? They were waiting on the Messiah. So what's happened since then and now? 
That's, that's happened, right? So the, the answer to the question for you then, we're going to come to the conclusion that what you're waiting for is not the Messiah to come the first time, right? But we're going to explore a little bit, and I, w- I want you to ask yourself, are you waiting for the Messiah yet again? Think about this. Answer? Hopefully so, right? In a different sense, right? Because here's what I, here's just one thing that I want us to understand, and you could you get a picture of this if you were to go and look in Hebrews chapter eleven, chapter twelve, and you see this picture of all the saints of old, and they're being used as a as a testament to faith that we should have. And I want you to picture this: each and every one of you, and the lives that you live, or the lives that you live possibly ineffective, you live with the promise having been fulfilled before you lay your head in the dirt. Do you get that? That the promise that God made, the climax of this story, happened in Christ on the cross. Right? The promise fulfilled. You live after that. These men... And women who had faith in God had faith that when they were dead, the thing that He had promised them that had not yet come would come. Now I want us to explore that and I want us to think about that as we push through the final verses of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things another version we'll read who makes all things This, as we were going through earlier in one of the prior studies through Ecclesiastes, as we were going through just kind of surveying all the different places where we see the sovereignty of God at work, this was one of those passages of text, right? And I want you to understand this too, and I'm going to give you a... We're going to actually flip over and just read briefly, but I would like for you to go and read the entire chapter of Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to just take a peek at one verse that essentially is going to, is going to tell us a little bit more or, or tell us the same thing maybe in a slightly different way as to what we're going to see here in 5. I want us to read 5 and 6 before we, before we switch over to Isaiah there. So 5, one more time. Just you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. Now this is following after the passage of text where we looked at that tells us or warns us against waiting, right? Oftentimes the reason that we find ourselves waiting is because we don't understand what's going on around us. Maybe we're a little afraid that we'll mess it up just a little bit more than it was messed up already. So fear will hold us and grip us because we're afraid of making a mistake so it keeps us paralyzed from doing anything. And I want you to, I want you to know this. I want you to know this on a very personal level for you and the way that you live your life is that God has made up for your mistakes. He did it in Christ in the cross. Right? So know that. And even in your mistakes, even in where you fail and fall short, that does not sidestep Romans 8, 28. God is working even your failings and your faults together in His plan. So I want you to have no fear. When, when, when I present what we're going to see here and when we step forward into Romans, my purpose in all of this is not to guilt you. Because you know what guilted service gets us? It gets us year after year of having to beg people 
to take classes, to having to beg people to serve. I'm preaching to you, the faithful ones. The faithful ones. I'm preaching to you so that you'll stay faithful in your service. So that you'll be effective in your service. I want you to serve one another. I want you to serve those that you work with, those in your families, not because you feel guilted into it, but because you could do nothing else, because you know the God you serve. I want your view of who God is to be so surpassing of all your inabilities and all your failings and shortcomings in the life that you've lived up to this point, that you have no other option except for to serve Him faithfully. I don't want it to be guilt. And I, I, I pray and I hope that as I preach that that's not what you see from me. If, I, if it is, then I've failed in, in this. We don't serve out of guilt. We serve because Christ Himself came and made Himself a servant for us. And this is a different way of view and service than the way that we oftentimes feel about it. And this is the kind of way of working and serving that you can serve for years and years and see nothing but less and less people around you and you still serve faithfully. This is the kind of faith in a God that's bigger than everything that you know that He is working. Even when all the things around you seem like they're falling to pieces because you know without a shadow of a doubt that the God that you serve is bigger than what you see. He's bigger than it. He's bigger than where I've messed up, where you've messed up, where we've messed up. When we're unfaithful, what does the Bible say about Him? He's faithful, church. He's faithful. Let's flip over briefly. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. My thoughts are not like, are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine for just as the heavens are higher than the earth so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts what does that tell us about god what does that and 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 ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 5 tell us about god is that there's going to be many times, many situations in our lives that should not catch us off guard where we have no clue what god is thinking in that. How many of you, even this week likely, have found yourself thinking, God, I've got no clue why you would do this. Why this would happen. Don't let that surprise you. Why? Why? Then do we let it surprise us? Why then do we let it trip us up and slow us down? Why then do we let those things that are so much smaller than God calls us to question Him in His faithfulness. Understand, church, I want you to understand this, that God is bigger, His ways are higher, and that's a good thing for us. That's a good thing for us. That should cause us to serve faithfully. Because it doesn't matter what we see with our eyes. What it looks like to us here and now because we don't see what He's got planned ten years down the road. You don't see what He's got planned through the suffering and the pain that you're going through now. The trials and the questions and the doubts. You don't see it. Believe in this God that is bigger. I want to ask you, do you think that when it's night time here, you go outside and you don't see a lot of sunlight. Do you think the sun stops shining? Why then is it dark? 
if the sun hasn't stopped shining. Perhaps something much smaller than the sun has gotten in the sun's way. And we can't see it for this thing. But oh, if we were astronauts floating in orbit, what would we see? A sun that never sets. This is what a high view of the bigness of God will do for us. When we understand that the God we serve is bigger than the situations, bigger than the problems and the trials, we draw back from those things and can see Him more clearly. And in that, in that, when, we, when we're floating out in the stratosphere and we see nothing but the sun all day, every day, we don't question in the same way that we question now, do we? If you're there, you're not saying, well, it's night time. Well, well, I can see the sun. What do you mean it's night time? So I want to challenge you and your personal study of God to seek and to draw into Him so that you can see the bigness of who He is. Right? All of this... All of this is for a purpose. I want you to do this, and we should do this, and I try to do it in my personal study for one purpose. So that I can marvel at who He is. And out of that, out of that, flows forth service for Him. So let's continue and let's read the next verse. It's going to speed up here in a second, I promise. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another or maybe both. I'm going to read this one again. This is going to be important. All the rest of what we're going to see here and what we're going to discuss, we need to, we need to get, these, get these concepts locked in our mind. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon. For you, friend, you don't know what activities, what service that you've made yourself a part of that will be profitable for His use and His kingdom. But I want you to know something. Just because you don't know does not mean that He does not know. I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that just because it's out of your view does not mean it's out of his view, right? Again, a high view of who God is is critical here. It's critical. Flip back over to Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to look here a little bit further down in verse 11. Again, read the whole thing. It, it, it'll, it'll blow your mind. 11 says, or excuse me, uh, 10. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. So I want you to follow me here. I want you to follow me. In Ecclesiastes, where we're reading, big picture of God's ways higher than our ways, called to plant. Right? called to plant seed, not knowing which one, or maybe both, will be profitable. But called to work, called to serve. Clear? Is that clear to us? Here, we see in 8 and 9, which we read previously, that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. This leads there to what we just read in 10 about God sending the rain and the snow down, and this causing the grain to grow. And then we see in verse 11, it is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. And it will prosper everywhere I sent it. What place for fear, church? What place for fear in, in your service to Him? What place is there for fear when it's 
He who's going to do the increasing. When He's made promises like this, I send it out and it always produces fruit. I want you to follow with me for a second. I want you to follow with me. I've been here now almost 15 years. I know many of the faces that I see here tonight, here prior to me, right? And that's amazing, this faithfulness. And I thank you all for that. I know many new faces here. And many of the years that I've been here, you know me, church, right? Now, you may not have known when I was upstairs teaching your kids or your grandkids, right? Sometimes when I was still a part of the youth then, 40, 50 youth then, and then teaching your college kids, handfuls of them or less, some of your kids. How can we do it when it doesn't look like what the world would consider a success. Huh? How can, how, can we, how can we do it? Man, I'm excited about doing it. I'm excited about doing it. There's a handful of us here tonight, and it, it is amazingly exciting. Why? Because I'll preach for an hour and 20, hour and 30 minutes, and you still come back. You do. I watch. I see who it is coming back. I love y'all for it, too. Do you know why I can do it? And I would do it if it was just one of you. Do you know why? Because I know who controls the weather, church. I, man, you can take as much seed as you want and stick it in the dirt. And it is not you or you're willing of that seed for it to sprout up and grow. It is God who grows. It is God who grows. Plant faithfully knowing that your service is not in vain. And is not for nothing. And is not decreasing. Because He is increasing. And He will increase. And it may not look like what we would expect many times. Yet we should press on. We should press on. Not because we feel guilted or not because there's nobody else to do it. Because of who it is that we are doing it for. Right? And we know how big He Don't cry, Mom. You make me cry. We know how big He is. How do we know how big He is? Man, He's changed you. Can you not see it? Can you not reflect on your own life and see that He's done it? Man, I'm not here today because I chose to be here, Shane. Right? Like, <laughs> how many of y'all told me I was going to be a preacher long before I realized I would be a preacher? Never did I anticipate this. I thought, I'll just serve up there and the handful of people that come, I'll serve them up there. And, and then he t- takes me to Ecclesiastes and for whatever reason, <laughs> called me to be a preacher. So let's let's consider this as we press on. We're going to be talking about life in the rest of this text. So Solomon here writing this book, you can tell it's very personal. I mean, if you haven't seen it this far, you're not going to see it in the last piece, but clearly he's personal in the things that he says, in the things that he brings up here. And we see him in, in, in these last verses really getting personal. Like what, is the, what is it that you can say? What is it that you can offer? Right? And what we're going to get out of this should further drive us to the questions that we've been asking. What are you waiting for? What were they waiting for? What was he waiting for? We're not waiting for that same thing. And there's a big, big thing that comes out of that that we're going to we're going to explore here. So, life is not to be wasted, church. 
when we live our lives, we're, we're to keep our eyes fixed heavenly. We're, we're, to, we're to look and always be considering the eternal, even as we live in the life that we have day to day here. So verse 7, light is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning. We should understand that life is a gift, right? We're going to see this just, I think, very clear, very evident throughout this text. Life is a gift. Man, and, and what I want for you, what I want for me, what I want for my family is that we do not waste the gift that we've been given. And this is, this is what Solomon's really getting at in what he's saying here, is the vanity of a wasted life. And we've looked at all the things throughout our exploration of Ecclesiastes that could lead to a wasted life, right? We know what can lead to vain living, meaningless lives. Here's what I'll, And we're going to end with the hope but when we close out this book here, there's not a lot of hope apart from, apart from the promises that God has made elsewhere in Scripture to the Messiah that He's going to be sending. So when Ecclesiastes closes, if I didn't do the part of jumping over into the New Testament and showing you the finish, right, then Ecclesiastes ends in a very depressing way that you are going to stand before a God who knows who you are. And He's going to judge you rightly. Right? So... This, mingled with don't waste your life. Let's continue here. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. Again, pointing to the fact that life is a gift and we're to enjoy life and we're to use it well. We're to be wise in the way that we use our lives, wise in the way that we approach each day and every decision that we make. We're to seek wisdom. He's told us this time and time again, to seek out wisdom, a wisdom that's not found earthly or in carnal ways, but a wisdom that's fixed heavenly beyond the sun. So, But let them also remember there will be many dark days. Everything still to come is meaningless. So, a life is a gift, but you can waste that life. If you waste that life, if your hope is not in something beyond the sun, then you will find that there is nothing but meaninglessness left. For you. Verse 9, young people, it is wonderful to be young. And most of us are, I mean, we've got some young, I'm, am I, I'm not the youngest, right? Y'all are younger, y'all are younger. Most of y'all are, y'all, y'all are older than me, right? Huh? <laughs> not to offend, I mean, more mature. Older is not bad. I don't want. I don't want to. Old is older is good, right? Like I want to live to be old and wise, right? And this is why he says what he says here, right? And I want to be careful because those more mature in this world than me. I don't want to offend you, and I don't want you to be downtrodden or hopeless. If when we dig into this, you feel like, I've wasted my life. Because the, the thing that I want you to understand, and, and the thing that I want you to have fixed in your mind, is that even your failings and your mistakes have been covered in the cross. Right? And today is a new day. So the... For, for you, I would say don't waste the rest of your life. But young people, young people, young people, I was just, I was just everybody, young people. <laughs> right? So not to, not to offend. Right? It's wonderful to be young. And you should enjoy every minute of it. This is, this is what he's, he's telling us here. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do Take it all in. What is he telling us here? What is he telling us here? In case somewhere along the way in the book of Ecclesiastes, he convinced you that life's not worth living at all, that's not at all what he's saying. Right? That's not at all what he's saying. Because here he's telling you 
live your life fully. But what he's not done anywhere in here is tell you really how. What he's left you with is a bunch of things that won't do it. So what happens? And this is the part that when you get here, if you're not looking forward towards the gospel, you're left with this question. You're left with this question, how do I do that? Right? How do I live fully yet it not be meaningless? If everything that you've listed that I could do would be meaningless. Right? So Ecclesiastes leaves you with a cliffhanger. Church, it leaves us there waiting something. Purposefully waiting something. Because the rest of Scripture is pointing towards that thing that they were waiting for. That we now have that should be driving us to tell everyone that we know. Right? But it's not. Or is it? This is a question for you. Is your knowledge of the answer of what are they waiting for? Do you know Him enough? Do you know what it is that they should be waiting for, looking for, that they're trying to find every other thing that Solomon has already shot down? Do you know the answer to the question when, when they say, well, what is it then? How do I live a full life? When everything that you've told me is meaningless and pointless. This is where the void is left that can only be filled by Christ and the gospel. This is why when I'm done with Ecclesiastes, God will not live long enough. I'm going to preach Romans to you so that not only will you not be fearful because you'll know how big your God is, but you'll know exactly what it is that we are supposed to be telling the world. So you will not be, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. So you'll be without excuse. My plan in this that God has shown me is this. To show you that the way that that we're living and the way that we're doing is meaningless and pointless. If Christ is not infused in every single part of it and the purpose and reason behind every single thing that we do. And then to show you how He's done it in Christ so that we cannot keep our mouths shut. That's the plan. That's the vision for Romans after this. So go be planning it and reading it if, if you would. Romans is the book. That, it's why you're here today. right? It's why you're in a Protestant church and not a Catholic church today. It was the book of Romans that sparked the Protestant Reformation, right? Faith alone in Christ alone, right? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. So after he says, do everything you want to do, he then tells you, but remember, you must give account to God for everything that you do. So there is going to be a constant reminder through the end of this book that you are mortal and you will die. Right? You will be dust in the body and the Spirit will go back to the One who gave it. And if you're apart from Christ, that should be fearful. It should strike fear into us if we do not know where we rest in Christ. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy, but remember that youth with the whole life before you is meaningless. Right? So, verse 8, living a long life, meaningless. Having youth, meaningless. Verse 1 of chapter 12, don't let the excitement of youth Cause you to forget your Creator. What's the one thing that every single one of you are going to be thinking when you're on your deathbed? Whether or not you believe in Christ or whether or not you do not believe in Christ. What are you going to be wondering? What's next? When I close my eyes, what is next? Now I pray that you know Christ and you know what's next. Right? That you know you're secure in Him. He's got you. And that's evident because He's done a work in you that's undeniable. But it is so easy 
so easy. Young people, how easy is it to look at all the world has to offer because there's a lot out there. How easy is it to look at that and want that more than what it is that I'm telling you tonight? Right? More than, more than come and follow me. Right? That's what Christ has called us to. Come and die. Right? Die to yourself. Die to your passions and desires. Born again in Him. I'm going to tell you it's going to be much easier for you to want to chase after the passions that, that you see out there. Right? Go back and read all that we've gone through so far. Listen to the wisdom of this older man. And he's told us the vanity of it. So don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him in your youth before you grow old and say life is not pleasant anymore. Remember Him in the light of the sun, moon, and stars before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim, your old eyes to your old eyes, and rain clouds continually darken the sky. Remember Him before your legs, the guards of your house start to tremble, and before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember Him before your teeth, the few remaining servants stop grinding. And before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. Remember Him before the door of life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Do you know that you have a limited time? I want, do you think about that? Do you ever find yourself thinking about the life that you've been given and what you've done with your life? Have you ever sat and really thought about it and, and thought back to all that you've done and what it amounts to? Right? Man, that could be depressing for many of us because I'm, I'm afraid that we've filled our lives up worried more about football games and television and work, and money, and cars, and vacations. Things that, that when we look at it now, we've got nothing to show for it. Remember Him. Before the door to life's opportunities is closed, you, each and every one of you, as an individual has an opportunity. You do. Whether or not you think you're capable or think you're able, you have an opportunity to be useful for Him. And the people that you live around, that you work with, that you see on a day-to-day basis, do you not know? Do you not know that if they do not find Christ, that they are hopeless. And does that not move us? Does it not move us at all that there are people in this world today who will never hear the gospel? They'll never hear it. And I want to tell you, church, I want to tell you that there are no innocent people in this world. So what does that mean if they don't hear the gospel, the one way to God the Father? What does that mean? They die and they stand before the judge, it is appointed to us once to die. Finish it for me. Finish that statement. And then the judgment. I want you to plug that in your brain. 
plug it in and hold on to that. It is appointed to man once to die, and then the judgment. I want you to be thinking about where that comes from, where, what piece of Scripture that is. We're going to go there. We're going to see, is that the end of the statement? Is that the end of the statement? No, that is not the end of the statement. And that is a big deal. Because to a lot of people, the end of that statement is what they need to know. And we're doing nothing because we're satisfied with sitting on our pews. Because we're afraid. It's the truth. It's the truth. You've got family. How many? Would we be honest tonight? How many of us have people that we love dearly? That if they stopped breathing today, hell is their eternal home. Now I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. Those you dearly love, what would you do for those you dearly love? Is there anything you wouldn't do? Then the question that I have there is, do you dearly love them? Church, what have we been called to do? What command have we been left with? Hmm? To go and preach? Making disciples of who? Everybody. Everybody. That's the command that Christ has left us with. Lock that away on the other side. Right? Both of these we're going to address as we draw to the end of this book. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all the sounds, all their sounds will grow faint. Verse 5, remember Him before you become fearful of falling and worrying about danger in the streets, before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper and the creperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember Him before you near the grave. So oftentimes, it's the grave that reminds us of Him. And we're being told here to remember Him before that. Remember Him not when times are bad, but before that. Remember Him not when you get old and gray, but before that. Remember Him before you're near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your Creator now while you are young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well, for then dust will return to the earth and the Spirit will return to the God who gave it. In 11... Verse 9, remember that you must give account before God to everything you do. In 12, 7, for then the dust will return to the earth and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. You will not avoid that day. Let's continue on. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. Keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. The words, listen, everything that we've studied up to this point, everything that we've looked at in Ecclesiastes, man, and I'm... I know it maybe better than y'all. If you were to look at how I could preach, you think 
hour and a half sermons are long. I could preach this thing three or four times. That's how much time I've been spending in this book. And So when I say what I'm going to say here, I know it very, very, very intimately to be true. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which the shepherd drives the sheep. What we've been hearing and looking at and studying at throughout the book of Ecclesiastes has not been fun material to study. It's not been fun. And it's not been fun because it reveals to us who we are. This is why it's not fun. Because we like to think that we're better than we are. We like to think that if I died without Christ, I'd probably do all right. We like to think that we got the scales tipped towards good instead of towards evil. And the words that Solomon is saying, these wise words have been painful because they're true. Many of us have wasted our lives. Some of you are wasting your lives. Some of you will go on wasting your lives. And others of you will find yourself part of that seed that God raises up. Man, I pray. And I've prayed. I've been praying before He called me to preach this. For each and every one of you. For those who ain't even, ain't even with us. That, that God Move. I've been praying that for a decade or more. That God would move in us. That we wouldn't come to church to fall asleep. Verse 12. But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful. For writing books is endless and much study wears you out. Verse 13 and 14. So Solomon, after considering all that he's considered thus far, leaves us with this. Verse 13. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commands. For this is everyone's duty. Let's stop there. I want us to think about this. Right? I want us to think about this. And I want us to consider what it would be like if we were sitting reading this book fresh off the pen, man. Fresh off the pen. Like like you're that child that he's saying, My child to and you get here. You get here. And what He's got for you, after showing you everything that's going to be meaningless and pointless and void, everything, He leaves you with this. Fear God and obey His commands. And I want you to ask yourself, who of you measures up to the ability to do that? Who of you have have followed His commands perfectly? Who of you are following His commands today? Better yet, how many have broken commands today? How many of us, apart from the work of Christ, would stand there trembling, knowing who it is that we stand before is holy and nobody gets off the hook? Because He's holy. Because He's holy. And I want us to understand this. God is very loving. That's clear in the death of His Son on a cross for you. But He is just, church. He is just, and this is why the cross must have happened for you to be redeemed. Because He doesn't let anyone off the hook. You break His commands... He's a holy God. What is due you when you do what He commands not to do and fail to do the things that He's commanded you to do? 
What's left? Fear, trembling. I'm sitting here thinking as I'm reading this, if I'm apart from Christ, man, I'm out of luck. There's no hope for me. Because all of those things that he said throughout this book that are meaningless and vain, I've done them. Some of them I continue to do. Let's see. What chance do I have? What hope do I have? It's appointed to man once to die, and then what? The judgment. What hope? What hope? Friends, what hope? God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. And I want to ask you, what hope? What hope? If you are appointed once to die, and then the judgment. Let's, let's turn. I had thought about for the longest time leaving it there. Right? And making you wait till we get to Romans. <laughs> but man alive. I, I considered how many times that I got there. And how depressing that is. To consider life. Where all I've got to hope for is to stand before a holy God. So, the verse that, you, that, that y'all helped me finish, right? It's appointed a man wants to die, and then the judgment, where, where, where that comes from? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Man, I want you to notice that that verse uh, doesn't end with a period, right? That... It's not the end of that book, church. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. I want us to follow through. And just as each person, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. This is the one that is probably most popular as far as our knowledge of, of uh, reciting that verse. This says the same thing, just a little, little wording differently. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment... That's where we're left in Ecclesiastes. That's where we're left. We're apart from Christ. Is judgment, verse 28. So also, Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. Apart from Christ, life, is hopeless. It's meaningless. It's void. And all of us know people living that life. Some of us may still find ourselves caught up in that life. Right? But that's not the end of the story, friends. When Solomon says that's the whole story, do y'all remember back at the beginning of this book when I told you there was a very important context that you needed to hold on to, that the truths that Solomon was pointing us to here were the meaninglessness and the pointlessness and the vanity of life lived under the sun? That's the whole story under the sun. Right? That's it. But that's not the whole story. Because the Son came for us. He came for us. Act 2. Church, when we're, when we're going through Solomon, what he's saying here, Solomon's living in the first act of this. And I want you to, I want you to picture what God is doing is a story that he's telling. He's telling a story about himself and how holy he is and how good he is and how merciful he is. He's showing us himself and all that he's doing. Old Testament, we're getting promises to the sequel, right? We're getting promises to the second act. That second act is Christ coming the first time. 
to die on a cross for us, for them, so that a, a life that's lived meaningless could be made to mean something. Even if you've wasted it up to this point, it can find meaning at the cross. But the story doesn't even end there. Continue with me to finish up. He will come again. Not to deal with sin. Right? Church, He's coming again not to deal with our sins. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28. He's coming again to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. So I want to ask you this question again, church. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? The question as it pertains to your service should be nothing. Because the answer to this question is Christ. Let us not live lives that are meaningless when we know the truth and have been called to greater lives. So what then do we do as we wait for the second coming? Do you know? Serve. We follow the commands that God has given us because now we can. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live lives that bring glory and honor to our Creator. We can live lives that have meaning and purpose. And the primary purpose, the, the command that Christ leaves us with is to go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, making them disciples. And why are we not doing that? Why are we not? Do we not believe He's coming again? Do we not believe that there's purpose for us here? Do we not know who it is and what He's done? And this is why I say that if God doesn't move, we will not be moved. Church, we need Him to move us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank You. I thank You for this day. I thank You for my church family that is coming to this place tonight to worship you and to hear your word lord i pray that we would live lives whether we would be fearless for you or that we would know that you are a god that is more than capable of making up for our inadequacies and our mistakes and our slip-ups and our bad decisions lord but that we would do something rather than nothing Lord, I ask that you would move in me, move in my family, move in this church. Lord, because if you do not move, we will not be moved. But if you move us, we will not stand still. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I don't know that there's anybody to play music. Well, we know. Yeah, if, if, if y'all want to. It's. I don't know. We got time. <laughs> let's let's just pick anything. Pick anything. Um, if you would sing, you sing well. Um, if you don't want to sing, you don't have to sing, though. While she's playing, um, I just want to say thank you to y'all, my church family. Um, I want to say thank you to, to all of you who have served here faithfully before I even darkened the doors of this church. 
want to say thank you to the ones who uh, worked and served at Old Mount Carmel.